Welcome to the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast, where we discuss science and science-based tools in everyday life, particularly in neurobiology, exercise physiology, as well as nutritional sciences. My name is Jessica Wong, and I am a neuroscience student at the University of Southern California. Today's podcast episode is all going to be about sleep, all right? As always, I just wanted to mention that this podcast is part of my effort to bring zero cost to consumer public education about science, as it is unrelated to my goals as a personal trainer and as an undergraduate student. So there's always been this increased attention to the topic of excessive sleepiness in this day and age, right? Therefore, this reinforces this need for a greater understanding of the neurobiology of sleep and wakefulness. At USC, there's this core neuroscience class called Cellular Molecular Neuroscience, and it's one of the most amazing classes at USC, actually. Um, and one of the most interesting lectures was about sleep and synapses, right? And in that lecture, we learned about how we spend around 25 years in, in an average lifetime on sleeping, and that psychiatric diseases are often intercorrelated with insufficient sleep. And the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis on sleep is huge in the neurobiological field of sleep. But I won't be talking much about all those things today, okay? Instead, I'll be focusing on the physiological mechanisms of how sleep and wakefulness are highly interrelated and how there are distinct differences in the active brain processing and the specific neurochemical systems involved in those two states. We all have this relationship of sleep, right? Sleep is known to reset our ability to be focused, to be alert, and to be emotionally stable in our wakefulness period. And the period of what we do in sleep, in, in wakefulness, is closely tethered to our sleep state. Okay? Sleep loss and disorders of sleep-wake dysfunction are the most common health issues reported in the U.S. and the estimated prevalence of syndromes of sleep-wake disorders is about 50 to 70 million. Those who suffer from chronic sleep disorders have impaired daily functioning, compromised metabolic health, and a diminished quality of life, right? None of this should be surprising to you. Therefore, this heightened attention has been focused on the neurophysiology of sleep and specifically the very arousal systems that are inhibited by sleep-promoting neurons that also disrupt those same sleep processes that return our body to a more wakeful state, right? And let's talk about the two driving forces of that run the quality of our sleep, okay? The first one is chemically driven. And this is all about one chemical that we want to focus on for this, which is called adenosine. Adenosine is this chemical found in all human cells, and it comes in three forms. Like, it may sound like something you haven't heard before, but wait. Okay, it comes in three forms. Adenosine, adenosine monophosphate, and adenosine triphosphate. The last one, adenosine triphosphate, is actually ATP, which is something you've most definitely heard of in your intro biology classes in high school. And in sleep, adenosine is a homeostatic regulator of sleep, and when it accumulates to a lot, a lot, a lot, right? It creates a sleep hunger in our sleep-wake regulation. The buildup of adenosine relies on two factors, okay? Um, and also several as well, but I want you to think of your favorite cup of coffee. In that cup of coffee, there's caffeine, right? Unless it's decaf. 
And the thing about caffeine is that it will bind to the receptor of the adenosine molecule. And when that happens, caffeine caffeine has taken the parking spot of the adenosine and adenosine can't park. And now your perception of sleepiness after you drink that amazing cup of coffee is decreased. And caffeine often modulates dopamine. We talked about that in our dopamine detoxing episode that was quite popular, which is the neurotransmitter in our brain's reward system. And as I told you, caffeine literally just parked in the parking spot for adenosine. And now when adenosine can't park in its spot, it won't build up with the receptors and cause the signal cascade to happen. So you won't be falling asleep. Right, that makes sense. You've th- you've, you remember those nights where you couldn't fall asleep because maybe you had um, way too much dark chocolate or, or had your cup of coffee way too late in the, in the evening, right? So when you have a high accumulation of adenosine binding to its receptors, that's when you want to fall asleep, which is a huge driving force, okay? All chemical, right? Cool. Let's talk about the second driving force now, which is going to be the circadian force. We just talked about the chemical force. Let's talk about the circadian force. This circadian force is run by a clock in our brain and the SCN that determines when we sleep and when we wake up. When we wake up, our hormones cortisol and epinephrine are released from the adrenal glands that will alert your entire body to increase its heart rate. Um, increased breathing all at once, and you may think, wait, 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 isn't cortisol something related to chronic stress? Yes, it is. Um, cortisol and stress. Cortisol is the stress hormone, as a lot of people know it, know it as. But a healthy rise of cortisol upon waking to is, is needed to activate your sympathetic nervous system, and th- that naturally happens because of an evolutional evolutionary basis, and and that automatic activation is what helps you get ready for work what helps you forge meaningful social relationships and to carry out normal day functions right sleepiness on the other hand is related when melatonin is secreted you know this happens around 12 to 14 hours upon waking by your pineal gland and that's when we're exposed to darkness so what's interesting is that taking supplemental melatonin is known to suppress the onset of puberty and subsequently impact other hormones. And since many forms of supplements in the supplemental industry are highly unregulated, said that some may either have 15% less of what the original label dosage says, or even 400 times of what it says as well. So when it comes to the supplemental stuff, right? I'm not your expert. You got to consult your medical physician. All right. And... We, we just talked about those two driving forces, and you see this endogenous system between wakefulness and sleepiness that continues with cortisol and melatonin is run by a singular sensory event, right? What is a singular sensory event that really drives this yin and yang kind of like with cortisol and melatonin? And that sensory event, okay, wait for it, it's when light hits our eyes, right? Specific, specifically, our retinal ganglia cells of our eyes. And these retinal ganglia cells, aka... RGCs, they communicate to the SCN of the brain in in our hypothalamus, right? And Dr. Andrew Huberman from Stanford University suggests that watching the sunrise outside is best for activating this endogenous system to start running in in a regulatory way because our neurons are best activated by the wavelengths of natural light from the sun, which has the power to shift the period of when we fall asleep as well as when we wake up. Like every cell in our body that needs glucose and oxygen to survive, Dr. Huberman really advocates that when 
when light hits our retina in our eye, our sleep-wake times are anchored to this consistent cycle, and there's this drastic beneficial improvement in mood, metabolism, and focus during wakefulness when we have this regulation happening, okay? And, of course, other sensory events during the day, such as meal timing, uh, exercise timing, and pharmaceutical drugs um, also play a role, but it is researched that light from the sun is the most direct way to anchor our bio- our biological clock, right? It's around 1,000 to 10,000 um, times more than raising wakefulness. And let's see, you've probably realized that there's this asymmetrical relationship for wakefulness, right? Because we can literally go pull all-nighters, but falling asleep is something that is more challenging because it's harder to control the mind when we wrestle around with it. And the key here is to look towards the body and have the body control the mind instead. And you're probably asking now, Jessica, how can I sleep earlier and wake up earlier then? Let's talk about this in a neurobiological standpoint. And it brings me to one of my final topics, which is all about phase advances and phase delays. So that's basically trying to quote unquote reprogram your circadian rhythm to sleep earlier and sleep sleep and and wake up earlier right and as we mentioned before it's the event of light hitting our retina that's the strongest stimulatory event on our wakefulness and i need you to know that the location of your retinal ganglia cells that detect light actually reside mainly in the bottom half of our retina right so that's like the bottom part of your eye um that means that When we have upward overhead lights in our visual space that we are exposed to at night, our our brain is like, oh wait, um, these retinal ganglia cells are firing so much, I think it's day. And when that happens, your circadian rhythm becomes unregulated and shifted to a phase delay. And Dr. Huberman from Stanford suggests that we can turn on a red or white light automatically flashing around like 45 minutes before your wake up time um, with a smart light that's totally affordable or just simply opening up the blinds immediately to have light penetrate your eyelids if it's after sunrise, right? And that's if you want to wake up earlier. And we talked about phase advancing and phase delaying and You know, if the exposure of light that you see is actually in the middle of day, like let's say like 2 p.m., that's definitely going to delay your circadian rhythm and it'll be harder to wake up both the next morning as well as sleep later. I hope you learned a few things about the neurobiology of sleep in this episode. Sleep is this amazing internal anchor that is absolutely needed to mitigate anxiety, control our metabolic hormones, and reduce mental health obstacles. And even today, scientists don't know why not sleeping is so fatal. An important feature of this podcast, as you know, is that we deep dive into topics for several episodes at a time. So by stopping here, I recognize that there are probably many other questions, and the great thing is that there are many other episodes coming out soon for you. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, please message me, um, send send me a DM on on Instagram, and please recommend this podcast. If If you like it, subscribe to it on Spotify. This community that we're creating here of discussing neuroscience is best supported by your involvement and your questions, and I will make sure to distill them in the most commonly asked questions. So in the next episode, we can move forward into talking about deeper things in science. Thank you so much for your time, your attention, and above all, thank you for your interest in science.